Well, in the 1980s, the consumption of milk was declining, and before the ever-so-popular Got Milk campaign, you know, the one with the mustaches, there was another campaign, and it went, milk, it does the body good, pass it on. Now, because you'll either feel really old because you'll remember this campaign, or because you enjoy, like me, making fun of the 1980s, let's watch a short commercial from 1985. Milk, it does. Milk, it does the body. Milk, it does the body good. Milk, it does. Milk, it does the body. Milk, it does the body good. Pass it on. How's that go? Build your bones so you can grow. Milk's got calcium, don't you know? It does. Now, who would say they remember that campaign? All right. And uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking that's what TV looked like in the 80s. Yes, and we loved it. But milk, it does the body good, pass it on. Now, I'm not here to talk about the effectiveness of the campaign on milk sales, but the idea is not a new one. Here's some information, take it, and pass it on. Uh, The Foundation for Better Life has taken this idea and used it with print ads and billboards. You have the Miracle on the Hudson, where in 2009, U.S. Airways Captain Chelsea Sullenberger landed a plane on the Hudson River. And so cool under cabin pressure, preparation. Pass it on. You've got Albert Einstein who once said, don't worry about your difficulties in mathematics. I can assure you, mine are still greater. To which I say, want to bet? <laughs> but look what he did. Confidence. Pass it on. Nelson Mandela brought equality to South Africa. One man. What a difference. Inspiration. Pass it on. And finally, we have one of the greatest failures in history, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln ran for public office for the Illinois State Legislator in 1832 and lost. He persevered, ran again in 1834, served four consecutive terms, then went back to being a lawyer. Then he re-entered politics, was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, went for re-election, lost. Ran for U.S. Senate in 1854, lost. The next year, he ran for another Senate seat, lost, but he persisted. And we all know how that worked out, persistence pass it on. You see, there's such a great value in taking the things that we have, the, assuming there is, and passing them on, assuming there is value in what we are passing on. And we are talking about first things first, and last week Eric talked about recognizing value and reorienting of life based on what we value. And so let me ask this question, what are you passing on? Every one of us comes in regular contact with people, family, friends, coworkers, classmates. We looked at some of the legacy of great people in history, but what are you passing on to them? At Eagle Church, we're about three things, discipleship, missions, the next generation, and we define the next generation as infant through college. And so maybe you're thinking, okay, so it's going to be a message about, about kids and students. It is not going to be that kind of message. As a matter of fact, I want to make sure you know this. So tell the person next to you, say it's not that kind of message. It's not. So what kind of message is it? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's find uh, what God's word has to say in Psalm 78. You can go ahead and turn there. And Psalm 78 was written by Asaph. And Asaph was a Levite, which means he comes from the line of priests in the Old Testament. And priests in those days had one function, and their function is to get people to God. 
right? Prophets speak for God, priests get people to God. Maybe you're thinking, well, why don't we have priests? Because in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the high priest who can get us to God once and for all. I feel like that was a great spot for affirmation, so let me try that one more time. Jesus is the high priest who gets us to God once and for all. Good, we're with me this morning. That's a good thing. So Asaph was a skilled poet and a worship leader. And the top of my Bible of Psalm 78 says, a maskil by Asaph, which likely means a poem or a song. And so three things this morning from Psalm 78, and they are concerning our responsibility with the next generation, but we are going to define that term a little differently. And what that is, is it's any generation that's younger than ours. And this may apply, these things may still apply to our peers, and they probably will, and they should. Ultimately, we all have a responsibility to those who are younger. That means if you are in your 70s, you have a responsibility to some people younger. If you are in your 50s, you have a responsibility. If you're 15, you still have a responsibility to take what God has given you and to pass it on. And so let's start with verse 1 of Psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to the teaching, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And the first thing I wrote down is to take advantage of your opportunity. You see, Asaph commands the people to listen to him because he has something to say. He has an audience, and he wants to take advantage of it. Uh, Last fall, I spoke a message from Luke chapter 8 called Listen Up, and I made two observations about that term, listen up, that I want to repeat. First, nobody tells somebody to listen up if they're already paying attention, right? Think about it. You're not in a conversation with someone, and they're engaged, and in the middle of it, you're like, hey, listen up. I mean, unless you're like super weird, like you just wouldn't, you wouldn't do that, right? And the second thing is listening and hearing are different. We can hear what someone says without really listening, right? We can receive it without really grabbing a hold of it. And so here the psalmist is saying, give ear to my teaching. Incline your ears. Uh, Incline your ears is all about paying attention. And so he's writing, listen up. Now, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful and valuable. But Asaph is telling us something here that we really need to hear. Isn't, isn't that why we come to church sometimes? To hear those things that we really need to hear, right? Not just to hear the things we want, but to hear what we need to hear. Well, I want you to consider that there are people within your circle of influence who need to hear some things in your life uh, of what God has done, and you are the messenger. And it's time to take advantage of that opportunity. And it starts with identifying who are those opportunities with in my life? Well, if you have children, it starts there. However, you have parents, you have siblings, you have coworkers, classmates, and all those other things that I listed before. And let me just ask, are you putting first things first and sharing with them what it means to live everyday life with Jesus? But, but hold on, hold on here. You said it was about the next generation. Shouldn't we just be focusing on those younger than us? Don't give, No, the thing is, is this is one of those things. It, it applies to those next to us. It applies to those, those younger than us. It could even apply to those older than us. Yes, we have a responsibility to those younger, but ultimately, who, who are we sharing with? That's the question that we should be asking. Maybe you're saying, well, I, I mean, I kind of am. I, I was planning on it down the road. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, no. Uh, I heard this, and it's not from the Bible, but I thought it applied, that there are only two times in life. There's now, and there's too late. And and the reason I thought of that is because over the years that I've worked in student ministry, and I've done this for for a little while, there's so many times when parents uh, have their kids reach the teenage years, and 
and they notice something's wrong, and, and so they, they, they want to re-engage them in the student ministry, and, and they really haven't before, and, 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 and so it, I, I say this with respect, but sometimes parents come, and it's kind of like, can you undo years of, uh, of spiritual neglect, in, 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 you know, and, and I'm going to tell you, no, you know, we, we really can't, but, but sometimes God does things in that, but they're finding that it's hard to change course at home because they haven't been talking about the things of God regularly. It's not been a part of their family and, and their hope is the church will fix it. And so here, as you're hearing me, I'm telling you, don't wait until it's too late. Take advantage of the opportunity right now in your home to put first things first. You, you know, last week, Eric talked about how many times we see people putting sports, which should be a secondary thing. We, we see them putting it first, right? God is a part of the equation, but he's not first. And the sports demands take priority. And, and I figured it was probably worth mentioning because some of you probably missed it last week because you were gone with sports. <laughs> I'll just let that sit for a second. Um, now, high school students, uh, uh, there are people that you interact with every day and eventually they are going to graduate, they are going to move on, and you are not going to see them very often. And right now, you have the opportunity, your life is intersecting with them, and you have an opportunity to tell them about a God who loves them and provided a way for them to have life. Right now, you have people in your life you can influence, and tomorrow is not promised. However, there are opportunities with people younger than you. Jesus has called us to make disciples, which means help people live everyday life with him. And so here, as we're going to see, the psalmist is saying we have a responsibility to pass things on. Are you doing that? Okay, well, time out. Is your goal here to make us feel really guilty about the opportunities we're missing? Well, no, the only the Holy Spirit can make you feel guilty, so if that's going on, that's between you and him. But let me just say, this is more of an opportunity for you to stop and say, wait a minute, what do I really believe? Let me ask you this, do you really believe that, do you believe that hell is real? I mean, do, do you believe that time is short? Well, let's look to the Bible, Second Peter chapter three says this, Peter writes, knowing this, first of all, hey, that's a great phrase there, first of all, I underline that in my Bible, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Hmm, it sounds very familiar today. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. He's saying, all right, there's going to be a time where people are just going to do whatever they want, and they're not even going to really believe that Jesus is coming back anymore. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Thank God that he is patient with us. But then verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. See, God is patient with us, but he's saying, but the time is short. All of this, it's all temporary, right? We don't know when and we don't know when it's gonna happen, but one day it will end and there will be judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 said, it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. That will happen. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, people like to live in their optimism until they can't anymore. It's far too easy for us to say everything's going to be okay and, and press forward. But loved ones, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know 
you should know that without him, it's not gonna be okay. And you should know that there are people that we interact with every day that we can, we can hope it, we can want it, but it's not gonna be okay. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the need is great? And do you believe that the call is clear? And do you believe that Christ is worthy? I heard someone say recently that many Christians live as functional universalists. I'm gonna explain that. A universalist believes that everyone's gonna be saved no matter what they believe, right? So it doesn't matter what you believe, everyone gets saved at the end. Now, a follower of Jesus would say, well, well no, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we would not say that we are universalists with our words, but with our actions, we act like everything's gonna be okay. We act like everyone's gonna be fine in the end. There doesn't seem to be this urgency far too often. Often, live in your optimism. It's all good. But did you know that 6,000 people die every hour? That's that's 150,000 people per day. The Bible says we are grass that withers and, and time is short. And this is why we invest so much in our next generation here at Eagle. This is why people give their lives to invest in kids and students. This is why people meet regularly with others like we saw last week with Jan Woodall and Olivia Littell. Because time is short and we gotta seize the opportunities we have. You hear parents say all the time, where'd the time go, where'd the time go? Well, you have it now. The time is here right now. Seize the opportunity. Take advantage of it while you have it. And let's move on. The psalmist continues in verse two saying, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but to tell, the, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of what he's done. The second thing I wrote down is to tell what God has done. And now notice, don't, don't miss this. He says, he starts by saying, I will open my mouth and I will, will utter sayings and grab a hold of this. Because first we recognize our opportunity, but then we have to open our mouths. Because there's this famous quote by an old church father. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And, and we hear that, and we say, oh, okay, so I just basically gotta live out my faith, and that really, I mean, Jesus said, let your light shine before men, and they will see your deeds, they will glorify you know, your Father in heaven, right? And, and, and yes, we should live in a way that draws attention to him. However, the number of people who have come to know Jesus as their savior because they saw someone being nice is hovering right around zero. And, and well, how, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked, Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe of him who they have never heard? How, how do people believe if they don't hear about him? And so if you're on the plan of, I'm just gonna live my life and hope my friends, my kids, my classmates, my workers, they see that and they turn to Jesus, Let me say lovingly that you are being deceived by an enemy who wants nothing more than for those 150,000 people a day to head for a Christless eternity. I mean, parents, would you send your kids to Eagle Kids and Eagle Students programs if we said our plan is to live out our morality in front of them? You'd be like, well, no, I want you to tell them about God. I want you to tell them the things you've seen. I want you to tell them what what he's done. I want you to tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of what he's done. You know, my own story contains a time when I was 16 and I started noticing that my best friend Dave was different. He, he didn't use the words I did. He didn't care about the same things that I did. He, he valued church and, and, and things related to church. And then I thought that was kind of interesting to me and eventually I learned that he has a personal thing with God 
and I, and I wanted that. So my story isn't that I saw Dave doing those things and then I gave my life to this unknown God. Everything turned the day that we were sitting in Dave's driveway and he's turned to me and said, you know what? You have a lot of good things going on in your life, but spiritually you're dead. And that led me to have a conversation with the Reverend John Bell of Grace Point Church in Naperville, Illinois. And he explained to me what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'd never heard that before. And then a couple days later, Craig Taylor, who had become my youth pastor, explained it even further to me. I needed to understand who Jesus was. I needed to understand what he did for me. And those conversations changed the trajectory of my life. And as a result, others were impacted because Dave and Pastor John and Craig opened their mouth. So loved ones, be intentional. Share the things that God has taught you. Utter dark sayings from of old. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Do not hide them. Tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of what he's done. And so what has God taught you? What do you know? Recently, I heard pastor and leadership expert Andy Stanley say, you know more than you think you do. Now, that's dangerous for some people because you think you know a lot. But the idea here is we make excuses often for not passing it on, right? Well, well this, my friend is asking some questions, and so, so Pastor Eric, you need to sit down and talk to him. Uh, you know, or, 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 you know, your small group leader, you got to, don't underestimate what God will do through your obedience and faithfulness. God isn't saying, well, they were going to go to heaven, but you don't really know a whole lot. So, right, I, I don't know, if you've read the Bible, you know that God, can, he spoke once through a donkey. I'm pretty sure he can speak through you and I. Just saying, Right? And so just consider what your obedience might do when you say to God, God, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I can tell you this before Eric and I come up here to teach. We're never just like, all right, we're going to go up there and tell them how it is. There's this, God, please give us something to say so we can come up here and we can be faithful. And you know what he does? He speaks. He will do that through anybody who is willing. And so I just want to ask, what have you seen God do? Don't, don't hide it. People in your circle of influence should not be saying, Oh, I didn't know God did that in your life because you should be talking about it. But, but I don't want to be annoying. Okay, well, well, don't, first of all. I mean, think about this. I, mean, I got two sides. I got my, my flesh side that I'll share with you. Probably shouldn't, but we say we don't want to be annoying, but then we post everything about our children and every detail of our life on social media. But I don't want to tell people about Jesus because that might annoy them, okay? Just let that sit for a second. But, but how about this? How about, you know, if you were in a situation where you knew how to save somebody's life, would you hold on to that because you were thought maybe that might annoy them? No, you would do everything you can. You gotta listen to me. You gotta know what's going on. I heard this story once, uh, Speaker Francis Chan talked about his brother and when he was dying, he, remember, he just pleaded with him in the hospital. Like, this is so important, you got it. And, he just, and I remember hearing that and going, yeah, I don't think I'd do that. My, my brothers and my dad and my mom, they don't, they don't know Jesus and I've shared with them, but... Am I, am I too concerned about what they're going to say? Like, I want to be all in, right? I want people to know that's what I'm about. You don't have to be annoying. No one's asking you to go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow and stand up on a table and be like, people, listen to me. Let me tell you. Nobody's asking you to do that. But, but you have conversations with people. You, you tell them about your vacations. You tell them about your kids. You tell them about the things you experience. But then we kind of hide the things of God. The next generation is not just kids and students, and that's why I said at start that it wasn't that kind of message, because we have a responsibility to take the things we know about God, to take the things we learn, to take the things we've seen him do, the glorious deeds and wonders, and pass them on. And I just want to know, do you have an avenue to do that? 
Let's move on, starting with verse 5. Verse 5 says, He, the Lord, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. If you underline, that's a good thing to underline. He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And the third thing I wrote down is to teach with purpose. You know, to teach means to show or explain to someone. And that word can be intimidating because it's easy to say, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, no one's asking you to bring out a dry erase board and to take attendance, right? You don't have to be in front of a group of people, but he's commanded us to teach. And here it says fathers are commanded to teach their children that the next generation might know them. And I want to speak into that specifically before doing so generally. If you're a father, I just want to have your attention here and say that you are responsible to teach your children who God is. And that not once, not twice, but, but all the time. You're responsible to help them understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it looks like to live everyday life with him. You are called to show your children how to live a life where the glory of God permeates every area of their life. And you are called to help them understand why that is the best possible way to live and how everything else doesn't compare. You are called to help them and teach them first things first. And if you are not doing that, and please know that I say this lovingly, you need to repent. If you don't know how to do that, you need to ask. See, I did not have a father who taught me the things of God. My dad does not walk with Jesus, but, but there have been godly people throughout the years that I've followed Jesus that I've been able to ask questions and watch and, and see how they raise their kids and see how it's done because nobody thrives alone. We are not here to judge. We are here to help. We are here to invest in you. And if you came up to one of us or you filled something out and said, I need some help, there are so many people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time who would love to invest and say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is how it's done. And I've needed that and I still need that as I raise three daughters. Moms, most of you are, are heroes. You are often the ones who are nurturing and growing your kids spiritually. And marriage is a partnership and your role is valued. And I believe when you take this psalm and you apply it to our culture, that it's very accurate to say that it's not limited to fathers teaching their children, but that does still apply. But as any teacher knows, when you teach, you teach with a purpose. In preaching, sometimes we call it the big idea, right? It means there's something specific you want to convey in your teaching. Like for me this morning, my hope is that we would embrace the urgency to tell others about who God is and what he's done, and we'd have a specific avenue and a plan to do that. We want to be people who live out Psalm 96.3, which says this, to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. And we want everyone to know how great he is and what he's done. However, if we're going to take advantage of this opportunity, we have to teach with a purpose and know what it is. So let's look back to the text, verse 5, and see what it is. He, the Lord, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise to tell them to their children. Specifically, it's talking about the law 
that the, uh, that the next generation might know them, meaning the laws of God. And we can faithfully interpret this to say that they might know the word of God and the things of God. I mean, that's the big purpose, that they would know the word of God. They would know the works of God. But what does that look like? Well, verse 7 really breaks it down, so we'll start there. First thing I see is hope set on God, or the NIV says trust in God. Trust in God, right? That's what it looks like. We want them to see the trust. We want them to have hope and trust in God. The idea here is that they would not stumble in unbelief like their fathers did. You see, the nation of Israel had this history that's a lot like ours, right? They'd see God do these great things, and then they'd experience him, and they didn't pass it on, and then future generations would forget about the Lord, not know what he did. They'd go off and they'd follow and pursue other things. God would get their attention. He'd bring them back. And then that new generation would do the same thing. They'd experience God, see him do great things. And hey, guess what? They wouldn't pass it on. And then the cycle would repeat over and over again. You see, by passing things on to the next generation, by passing them on to anyone, our purpose is that they would have their hope set in God, that he would be the object of their trust, right? That they would be able to put first things first no matter what they uh, encounter. And we're gonna go through some hard times and Romans 5 tells us that we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And so when we have our hope in God, we can endure the hardest things. He does things in our life that we never imagined possible and he pours out our love or his love through the Holy Spirit. Our goal, our hope, is that people would be able to turn to him in these times and say what the psalmist says in Psalm 25. He says, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. I know for me, as I pour into my kids or, or students over the years or other people, that's what I want. In the hardest times, I want them to say, my hope is in you. My trust is in you. I want them to know that he can be trusted, that hope will always disappoint unless it's in an unchanging God. Second thing, when we teach, our purpose is so that the works of God are not forgotten. So the other day I walk into my living room and there's my wife sitting there with my 10-year-old and she's telling her the story of Samuel anointing David. And she has her Bible open and I love so many things about that, but one of the reasons it was so great is that Rebecca in that situation is learning what God has done. I've tried to be really intentional in my own life of sharing with my kids the good and the bad in my past, in my spiritual life within reason and, uh, and letting them see how God has worked. I wanna do a better job. As I was writing this, I was thinking about teaching his faithfulness in the Old Testament because if you read through the Old Testament, you know that God is so good and so faithful. But whatever you do, the goal is that they would not forget the works of God. That's one of the reasons downstairs we love, we do this thing called Discovery Land, because in there they are learning all about the Word of God. They are learning what he's done over and over and over again, because you can't remember what you don't know, right? That's why we need to tell others what he's done. So when life happens, when things get clouded, we can remember what he's done and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, but God did that. And so He'll probably do this again. He did this, and he did this, and we can remember his incredible faithfulness. When we, when we teach, we want to see hope set on God. We want to see his works not forgotten. And third, our goal is that God's commandments are kept. See, it's important to teach what God says, right? But working with teenagers, I've learned that it's equally important to teach why God said it. 
That's why I've repeated this line I heard from a pastor years ago that when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself, right? So why does God tell us not to do that? Well, God loves you, and when he says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. If you choose to sin, you'll choose to suffer, right? First John tells us that God's commandments are not a burden. So God loves us. So in the same way that I never told my kid, hey, you know what, if you want to run across the street, you go for it, right? And, and, and I hope that works out for you. I, I would never do that because I love them and I give them guidelines. God has done the same thing for us. So there are reasons for his commandments and he has commanded these things for our own good because he loves us. And so we need to pass on what he said and why he said it. Finally, when we teach, our purpose is to see faithfulness to God. Ultimately, we want to help people be faithful because only he has been faithful to us. We want them to see that nothing else satisfies because he is greater than anything ever and to find enjoyment and delight in anything other than God is to embrace a lie. To lose taste for God, to prefer anything to him and to worship the temporary over the eternal makes us fools because there is an enemy who is real and powerful. And the Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. And he wants us to believe more than anything that God is trying to withhold something really good from us. So that way we're like, well, well, no, God doesn't have my best interest in mind. We might not say that, but that's how we act. So I'm going to go after this. And that, that is a lie. And the truth is, God is saying, hey, yeah, that's good. Like, that's good. But, but I never made you for good. I made you for great. I made you for best. I have something better. Don't settle for that temporary thing. And so we teach others who he is and what he's done so they can live a life of faithfulness and they can understand what God has made them for and they can understand the goodness of God and they can taste and see that the Lord is good. We teach, as verse seven says, so they should set their hope on God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should be like their fathers, a stubborn, they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let that not be said of us. So take advantage of your opportunity. Tell what God has done and teach with purpose. So in both Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, the apostle Paul uses this phrase that he is being poured out like a drink offering. And so I want to wrap up with continuing a thought I started earlier this morning from Andy Stanley. Because not only did he say you know more than you think you know, but he also said that it is our response, it is not our responsibility, not our responsibility to fill another's cup, but only to empty your own. And I want to think about that for a second here. Let me explain. You see, you have an obligation to invest in those around you and specifically to the next generation. And so that means if you're 70 and you're not investing in someone, there's probably something wrong. If you're 50 and you think I've done my job because I raised kids and I once served, um, you're missing out on a fundal truth of the Christian walk that you don't retire from ministry. And maybe you'll quote 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord until you get old enough to stop. Or the Great Commission, who can forget that? Go and make disciples of all nations until you retire, right? No, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means if you're 15... You should be investing in someone who's younger. It doesn't matter how old you are. But you can't fill the cup of another, nor should you even try. Your responsibility is to empty your cup. Maybe you think, but I don't, I don't know a whole lot. But have you poured out with what you have? You're not trying to fill another's cup. You just want to empty your own. 
I, I was 18 years old when I first started teaching students. And, and I'm pretty sure every message sounded something like, tell your friends about Jesus. This week we're gonna talk about telling your friends about Jesus, but don't come back next week. We're starting a new series called Tell Your Friends About Jesus. Because I didn't know anything else. But every week it just kept like, you know, kept, and then if I learned something new, you'd know if I was in the Word that week because I'd be like, oh, I read this thing. There's this guy, his name's Abraham in the Bible. I've been a Christian for like two years when I started teaching. And people were like, yeah, we know Abraham. I'm like, oh, but, you know, and so I just kept giving them, this is what I have, this is it. But, but we are information hoarders, right? Psalm 73, Asaph describes it as hiding the things of God. You know, high school students, you might say, why, why am I in here? Why, why am I not upstairs? Well, part of the reason is you don't need more information, right? The middle schoolers, they, they do. I, I was up there. It is jumping up there. It's pretty crazy. There's a lot of middle schoolers up there. But, but high schoolers, often your cups are full, and, and you need to do more with it. And that's why we believe so much in those life groups. We believe in the community. We believe in the opportunities to serve. We want you to be a part of this body. But, but for all of us, why, have you ever wondered why mission trips are so much more impactful to us than other things? It's because we transition from receiving to doing, right? Did you know that right now we have high school students pouring into middle school students every week? We have college students who are pouring into high school students. We have literally all ages pouring into our Eagle kids. We all have the opportunity to pour. Actually, you know, this week is prayer week, right? And, and, and on Tuesday night, we're, we're giving you the opportunity to come and it's our Eagle Kids Night here and it doesn't matter if you are 90 or if you're nine. It doesn't, we, we have something for you here, an opportunity to pray for our kids. We have stuff for kids so they could pray and then the adults are going to be actually praying for our kids and for the things of, uh, that, of God that he's doing here and it's going to be awesome. There's your chance to impact the next generation. I just, so, so what's your plan? Because last week Eric talked about specifically having a trellis by, with, by which growth can happen. And so how are you going to pour yourself out for others? Because if you have kids, there should be an action plan in place for how you will do it. And you should start that conversation today. If you're already doing it, check in. How's it going? How will you open your mouth? If you don't have kids, ask yourself, who are the people within my circle of influence? If you're a student, don't wait for the next mission opportunity. Get involved. Ask questions. You see, I brought this uh, little bucket up here because I was thinking, some of us feel a little bit more like this, right? We're like, I don't really have a whole lot to pour out. So then we hoard it. But see, I think the scripture is clear that our call is to still pour it out. But, but maybe I've been following Jesus for a little bit longer, right? So I got a little bit more. What should I do with it? Hey, guess what? You see a pattern here. You're going to pour yourself out. And you're going to pour yourself, empty your cup. You're not trying to fill another's. But what if, what if you're more like, you've been following Jesus for a while, you have a lot of wisdom, you're like, you know, Scott Granati or Brett Black or somebody like that, you know, and you're more like this. You're like, yeah, you know, I'll tell you what to do. Here it is. You pour yourself out. Anybody getting thirsty, by the way? Right? You just pour yourself out. And look, I'm going to just sit here and wait until it's empty because it takes a while and there's a lot of people you can pour into. But, but what, about if you're, what about if you're like, Jim Hurst or Bob Johansson, two people that I always get so much from. Maybe you're feeling a little more like, hey, hey, you know what? You know what? Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. It's going to keep pouring. You guys got a lot of wisdom there. But pour yourself out until there's nothing left. Have you emptied your cup? Because there are opportunities for you today that won't last long. Missions, discipleship, next generation. What's my responsibility in the next generation? It's very simple to pour yourself out for others. Let's pray.
Father, would you help us to be people who will pass it on, people who will take the things that you have, we have seen you do, the great and glorious deeds and the wonders of your might? Would you help us to be people who are not worried as much about being annoying and are more concerned with being faithful? God, would you help us to be people who look for opportunities? You tell us, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, because I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't believe. Help us to tap into that. And would you help us to be people who are willing to pour ourselves out, even if we only have a few drops to give or if we have gallons to give, to find the avenue to say, I am going to pour myself out as a drink offering, and I'm going to trust God for the results. Help us to be people who invest in the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.